source. The idea of working on a project out in the open with friends, coworkers, complete strangers, and everyone else you can think of on the interwebs. It sounds wild. And in this episode, we spend time with some folks who are behind a wildly successful open source project called DBA Tools. Make sure to order an extra strong Romulan ale from the replicator because we're setting course for a discussion on the challenges of creating, maintaining, and communicating on a technical project that has thus far received nearly 14,000 commits. Howdy, I'm Chris Wall. You can follow me at Chris Wall on Twitter. And with me is my co-host who still codes using punch cards, Ethan Banks, at ECBanks on Twitter. And this is the Data Nuts Podcast. You can find this and all of our shows on iTunes, in your favorite podcatcher, or at packetpushers.net. Oh man, Ethan, I'm, I'm pretty stoked about this one. This is going to be good. And uh, I'm going to cut to the chase. I'm not, I'm not even going to let Ethan talk. Let's introduce our guests, because there's a lot of me here. Sorry, Ethan, you're being railroaded, completely cut out of the conversation. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we keep the banter to a minimum here, folks. First, let's start with Chrissy. Welcome to the show. Who is it that you are, and what is it that you do? Hey, thanks so much. Uh, so my name is Chrissy Lemaire. I am the creator of DBA Tools. Um, for my day job, I'm a systems engineer. I'm an American working in Belgium. Uh, and I'm also a dual MVP, Microsoft MVP. I was awarded for both my work in PowerShell and SQL Server. Open source is my life. I absolutely love it. I've had the time of my life. Uh, it, I actually did a dance when you introduced us as an extremely popular open source project because I've been working with Linux since I was in my teens, and this has always been a dream of mine. So thank you so much for welcoming us today. Right on. And we'll get to guest number two, second on the list, but not second in my heart. Rob, welcome to the show. Who is it that you are and what do you do? So my name's Rob. Uh, nice to meet you all. Once upon a time, I was uh, a production DBA, you know, the, the grumpy ones that say no. And these days, I pretty much help people to automate stuff. I was one of the first contributors to DBA Tools. I'm half the MVP that, that Chrissy is because it's only <laughs> cloud and data center management for me. Uh, but I do mainly work with, uh, with SQL Server environments. And and apparently your title is Beard Twizzler. <laughs> uh, of course, um, uh, it's it's fairly well known that that I have a beard, and I know both both of you have beards, but but I'm afraid mine is uh, more impressive. That's okay. I'm comfortable in my beard. I I hear a beard that's got its own personality and maybe its own Twitter handle or something, Rob. <laughs> <laughs> It it doesn't have its own own Twitter handle because I, I don't have that much time. <laughs> it does well, have that, its own avatar. It does have its own avatar. Well, let's dive right in. And and I'm not, you know, it is a very popular project, but just to set the table for this show, you know, what is DBA Tools? What is that project? And ultimately, what is the aim? You know, what does it do? Uh, so DBA Tools is a toolkit for uh, data professionals. It's a PowerShell module that helps us automate our daily tasks. We, you know, DBAs, we have these checklists. We have things that we have to do every day. And it essentially just makes everything so much easier. I don't know if you guys have ever worked with SQL Server Management Studio, but, you know, you open it up. It's this really nice interface, but it just works with one server at a time. 
And DBA tools actually helps you work with multiple servers at a time, or even, you know, if you're just managing one, you can manage all of your databases because we're working with multiple objects. So multiple databases, multiple logins, multiple jobs and things like that. And it started back in 2014. I was tasked to perform a migration and the database server was a SharePoint uh, database server. And for any of you DBAs out there, you know, who work with SharePoint, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Like this is a massive migration because SQL Server creates a lot of databases. And uh, I've always been a fan of automation. I've used Linux for a long time. I've used Bash for a long time, uh, Tickle and things like that. And I uh, was really excited whenever I was first using PowerShell and I knew that it would be the solution to help me perform this migration, but there really wasn't much out there. There was an article here that showed you how to do it with static paths, um, but I wanted to make that dynamic because I wanted to make something that would work no matter where I went. I wanted it to work on SQL Server 2000. I actually tried to get it to work on SQL 7. Didn't work. <laughs> and, and well, that's that's essentially because if you create an environment that supports SQL Server 7, you've created an environment that doesn't support PowerShell. But in the event that I ever inherited SQL Server 2000, I wanted to be able to work with that too. And PowerShell and the SQL management objects makes that possible and so ultimately, it's a toolkit that helps data professionals just simplify their lives. I think it's brought a lot of relief to a lot of people, including myself. It sounds like the tools that were there were just insufficient for what you were trying to get done. Would you say that's the biggest motivator then to put DBA tools together? Yeah, totally. It was possible to perform these migrations. We had a stored procedure from Microsoft, but it was such a manual process. Like before DBA tools, to me, everything was so manual, testing your backups, uh, you know, because you had to figure out your paths each time and using dynamic T-SQL to address these. That's just not really what it was intended for, but it's something that PowerShell really excels at. And so that's why it's just been such a perfect solution because there wasn't anything there and now there is. And also, I think that when people wanted to use PowerShell to automate things and they looked at SQL Server, they saw these blog posts about, hey, yeah, get an SMO object and then work with that and use use these these functions and methods to call it. And some people find that very, very intimidating. You know, people like Chrissy and me and on all the hundreds of people that contribute to DBA tools, we love it. But some people find it really intimidating. I, I always think of it as uh, making it easy. PowerShell makes it easy because backup-dba database backs up the database. You don't have to worry that it's calling the SMO object, creating a, 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 an SMO backup object, and then adding all of the particular properties that it needs, and then calling the method to do the actual work. You just type in backup-dba database and an instance and a database and a path, and it does all the magic behind the scenes. Yeah, so he brings up a good point that, you know, before this, it was all of that that development. And essentially what DBA tools did is what a lot of other toolkits or, or modules do. So, you know, SharePoint had a module with over 700 commands, same for Exchange, same for Link, which is now Skype for Business. So you had all of these that really, you just type one line of code and, and it can do a lot of really amazing things. But with the SQL Server community, we didn't have that. All it was is like here, 
develop this. And what we did was we made it just one single line of code. And then we do all the development behind the scenes. And we delivered something to end users as opposed to developers. I I certainly get the use case and the motivation. And something that we talked about a little bit offline that I want to bring into the conversation here was the use of GitHub. And I think there's a general perception that if you put a project into you know, Git for version control and GitHub for sharing with other folks, that that's what developers do. It's not for IT operation. That's a developer thing, which obviously not, not huge on that. But you know, the, the use case that you're solving, the, the problem that you're tackling is very much on the plate of IT operations. So I, I guess thoughts on that and also what inspired you to go that route? Because it doesn't seem like it may have been the most popular path to go back in 2014 or so when you launched this. The thing about developers 10 years ago, 15 years ago, yeah, operations did their thing, developers did their thing. These days, the world's different. And what I always say to, you know, I, I used to be a production DBA. So I used to write, I still do, write T-SQL code, write PowerShell code, uh, write some, some batch files and things to do stuff. I, I'm writing code. So before I even thought that I was a developer, I was writing code. Now, GitHub enables us to source control our code. And it has some other things that we do as well. But it's about the source control, making sure that we have a a record of where it is, that we can make sure that we're consistent with what we've got. And that's what we use for code. And if operations people are writing code, and in my opinion, if operations people aren't using PowerShell to manage their estate, then they're missing out on a whole load of time saving. So they're writing code. If we're writing code, we're all developers. If you write PowerShell, or if you write Python, or if you write Ruby, or if you write batch files or bash files or whatever, you're a developer. So it's really about offering version control beyond the more standard file name underscore one, file name <laughs> underscore one, initials at the end, old not, underscore file name. Yeah, that's... Uh, underscore do not use. <laughs> yeah. no, no, really mean it this time. And, and obviously today, I think that's much easier idea to sell. But was there any, I'm just curious, any pushback on the idea originally versus more traditional? Like, hey, you could just store the code in SharePoint if you're really, really into the Microsoft model. Not that, not just to be clear, listeners, I hate SharePoint. So that's not (laughs) something I'm advising, but you know, maybe someone brought that up. I have literally never had uh, any pushback about where to place it. I think at the time um, there was something called like codeproject.com or .org or something. It was by Microsoft and nobody even suggested that we place it there. You know, for me, whenever I got into DBA tools, my experience with version control was as an administrator, I set up subversion and then I didn't use it because I didn't really understand it. And through this project, I've been able to understand how everything works. And it is so much more magical than the days of ultra edit or notepad plus plus, you know, and with all of the backup files. And as far as ops and development goes, I see as a data professional, if you're a DBA, you know, you're writing a lot of T-SQL. And so to me, it was a natural progression to code. Now, I think that's actually, I do a majority of my work in PowerShell as opposed to T-SQL. How did you plan this project? I mean, I have a small little chatbot project that I've started on. And the more I think about trying to lay it out, it, the scope creep is, is enormous as I begin thinking about different modules I might like to add to this thing. How did you plan this kind of a project that could have 
just go in all sorts of directions and cover all kinds of territory? Was there a, an architecture document or did you just kind of throw a few things together and then it just kind of grew organically? It totally grew organically. Most of the things that you see in the tool set, if I've created it, it's because it was something that I needed. So, you know, if I'm going through an audit, then I'm going to create a whole bunch of security commands. Uh, it started all with the with the migration commands, and that was something that had prompted me to originally do it. So everything really comes from uh, doing oh, you, something else that I actually, whenever I was doing this and I was making the, the first commands that were really exciting and I was excited about it, but a lot of people didn't know about it. I would troll Reddit and I would see what are the problems that people are having, right? And, and something that always came up is I've been locked out. My essay account has been locked out or, you know, I have this new environment and I don't have the username or the password. And I was like, well, how can I audit that? So I'd go to Stack Overflow and I would get all of those things. And then I would automate all of the steps. And so really, this is an architecture of excitement. It was, you know, whatever was exciting. Um, and I would think, you know, if somebody were to give me a script that did this and did it well, would I be pumped about it? And if the answer was yes, then I would create the script. Yeah, that resonates. I mean, Stack Overflow is the fuel that a lot of open source projects burn to, you know, survive. You know, it's a good <laughs> idea pit of, you know, what should I be doing? Because oftentimes I feel like writing the code is the easy part. It's coming up with the idea and the architecture around it that, that is tough. We uh, certainly it, learned along the way, too. Well, and I wanted to ask about that because obviously you're you're in a lot of these cases, you don't know what you're doing. You're just putting stuff on the internet and hoping someone kind of adds to that collective mass. So I'm kind of thinking, what were the most difficult challenges to solve when it comes to user adoption, getting people involved with the product? You know, were you having to say, I'm marketing this project, come join, or did it just happen via word of mouth because you were solving real problems? GitHub, it was practically unknown in 2014, but I really wanted my code to be out there and I was excited to share DBA tools. And so I had to learn it. And so, you know, ultimately I just used that same approach. Um, don't just excite people into using GitHub, create the tutorials to help them get started. And then you can tell them about the benefits, right? So, hey, if you contribute to my project, we can help you, but then you can apply this to your own projects. You can apply it to your own contributions to Microsoft's repositories and everybody. I know for me, I've always wanted to be a part of PowerShell or SQL Server or even their, their books online, things that we grew up reading. And now that's possible, you know, so let people know, hey, you can use us and kind of add this to your resume. And we even created a, a company on LinkedIn and let people associate, the major contributors associate themselves with the organization so that people can see their open source work there. And what was really cool is, so we created, I learned GitHub and then we created tutorials and we helped people. And then the people who learned from us started helping other people in the channel. And so I think that that's why we do have over 150 contributors to our repository. Oh, I loved it when she said uh, trolling Reddit, looking around for the problems that people are having and then figuring out, okay, I'll see a lot of people that have posted about this. Maybe we should take the next step uh, to address those problems. And, and to me, that makes a lot of sense because that's how you know if you're working on a project, you're going to see adoption and create community around it because you're solving a problem that people have. What stuck out to you, Chris? 
I liked it when Chrissy was talking about Git or GitHub, or really just that whole version control thing being so much more magical than the days of Ultra Edit, Notepad++. I'm sure we all remember those tools and they're good for editing text, but they don't do version control. And I'm a big proponent of distributed version control systems or DBCSs for anything I build. I don't care if it's just for myself because those projects more often than not evolve kind of away from my specific use case to encroach upon other people's use cases. So might as well just version control everything out the gate. All right, it is great to have an idea. You come up with some code, but doing that yourself is is one thing that's fairly easy. It is way more difficult of a task to do that in a collaborative fashion where you're working with other people that are distributed across time zones and the globe. Uh, what are your thoughts around uh, contributions from the community? How do you how do you bring those people in? How do you what's the process that you uh, want them to follow? So all of our projects, um, and Rob actually has, uh, he's the maintainer for a large project too called uh, called DBA Checks, but you have a contributing.md kind of uh, guide that shows you, and it's really cool that people know about it now, which really surprises me, you know, and they'll go and even submit pull requests to modify things and update it, or they'll say, hey, I wanted to participate, but I didn't really understand this from the contributing guide. Can you give us more advice about that. So in that contributing.md, uh, that markdown file, that's really the place that everybody should be looking. And would everybody know that automatically, that if they want to contribute, they should be looking for a contributing.md file? It wouldn't feel that way to me, but maybe it's become the thing because that's really the trend that I've seen. How about you, Rob? I, I mean, I would say no, probably not. But I, most people who are going to come and contribute to DBA tools, hitting the front page of the, the GitHub is maybe not the the first place they'll they'll come to and when they come in at any other place if they come into our slack channel you know sqlps.io slash slack is a sql community slack channel and dba chrissy and i set that up initially to um, support dba tools and it, it grew much bigger than that the dba tools channel in there is is very very lively and People will come in there and there's always somebody there all around the world. There's in all the time zones, there's always somebody there to to help and to encourage and, and bring people into our DBA tools family to help write new code. Now you said Slack. Did you also say IRC? No, I I, I didn't. It isn't isn't Slack is the new IRC. That's that's the new IRC. Yeah. Yeah, it, it it kind of is, but IRC so often is still used for open source projects. But uh, but more and more, I've I've left IRC and uh, and find myself just in multiple Slack groups. It's it's just a little more closed. But uh, but I was wondering if you also had an IRC channel as well. And I guess the answer is no, because we've moved on to Slack. I I really think that that we all have moved on. You know, I I actually met my first girlfriend on IRC in I think 1995, 1996, and I stayed there for a while and I was as I got older, I was kind of bummed because it really wasn't the place for older people in my opinion. And so whenever Slack came around, I thought that that was it really is. It's the new IRC and with our SQL community Slack that we started for DBA tools, um, but we kind of made it generalized and then we have our own channel. We have now, I think, nearly 8,000 yeah. SQL 
community professionals. And then in our specific channel in DBA tools, I'll get an accurate count right now. We have 1,849 people. Wow. I'm going to, I'm going to go in there at channel at two in the morning. (laughs) (laughs) I think we've disabled that. We actually had some issues yesterday. (laughs) Only the admins can do that. Yes. (laughs) If if we could, I'd like to get a little bit nerdy on kind of the day-to-day operations, especially around branching and uh, just your opinion on, you know, essentially for those that aren't too familiar with GitHub, uh, there's always pretty much a master branch of some sort that contains the you know, kind of the base level code that everyone's been contributing to. But there's a lot of opinions on, should I make a branch just for a new feature and then merge that in? Or do you have a development and staging branch to kind of follow a more traditional waterfall style? You know, what is your branch strategy? So we have our uh, development branch and that's our default branch. And then we actually created a GitHub organization and we made a lot of the uh, the community members part of that organization. So we can assign them things or they can assign themselves things and participate uh, more thoroughly in the repo. But yeah, the branching strategy, I had read all the all the ways to do it and all the all the recommendations and kind of just went we commit initially to development, and then I manually commit to master. There's only five or six of us that have ever committed to master. But actually, Rob's project, uh, DBA Checks, has a slightly different. Uh, it is it is totally automated, and unlike mine, which is it does have that manual intervention there. As soon as you mentioned branching to developers, uh, and if we're if we're mainly talking to to IT ops people, then mention branching with a group of developers and then walk away and watch it all explode it's like lighting a blue touch paper because you ask 10 developers what branching strategy they should use and you'll get 15 answers so it's always going to be a a difficult thing to do and if we're going to bring this way back for we're not talking about work this is open source this is fun. This is the stuff we do because we enjoy it um, because it brings us so much pleasure. So we want to simplify things as much as possible. And for um, DBA tools and for DBA checks, we, we basically have two branches. We have a development branch, and that's where stuff gets put. And then we have a master branch, and that's what goes out to the outside world. And what we say to people is, hey, fork of the repository, so take a copy and have it all by yourself create a branch work on your work and then do a pull request back into the development uh, branch of dba tools because it keeps things all separate and with all you know hundreds of people making changes it's useful to be able to hold those changes in their own sort of little pull request in their own branch to evaluate. As Christy said, for, for DBA checks, what I do, um, DBA checks is a uh, PowerShell module for using Pester to validate that your SQL Server is uh, as you expect it around your estate. And I have unit test Pester checks for the Pester checks of dbhx my mind just melted just a little bit but I, I, i'm right there with you i've done similar yep. things so yes so 
so uh, I have unit tests that that use the PowerShell AST, the abstract syntax tree, going down into the guts of how PowerShell is passed to make sure that everything is written to the coding guidelines that we expect for DBA checks because it's got some Power BI involved in there. And if you don't write stuff in the right way, you can break the Power BI. So we want to make sure stuff's done in the right way. We could do some coding guidelines. We run those unit tests. And if they all pass, who are he? It's all good. And then I've got some integration tests. So now I'm using Pester to check the Pester results of checking the SQL Server to make sure that that all works as we expect it, and that 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 what we're you know when we when we make a change to a SQL Server we fail a test as we expect to, and when we put the value back again we pass the test like we expect to, and then we sign the code and we chuck it out at the PowerShell gallery. Now. DBA tools has way more commands. So it's much more difficult to get all of that goodness for all of those commands. But for DBA tools, we use um, AppVeyor. And AppVeyor will um, spin up a virtual machine. That's what it does. And then inside there, it will create uh, a number of SQL servers and it will perform the operations with DBA tools commands and then check that they are what is expected. How do you handle GitHub issues, The uh, that, that feature called uh, issues, uh, label assignments, team assignments? How do you prioritize which issues to work on and what to ignore? Do you require an issue for a pull request? Tell us all the things. That is a fantastic question. And the answer is that it has actually changed over time. So many of the core contributors, like we're all learning through this project and we want to know the best way to do it. So we will search for things and people are like, hey, you know, use, assign uh, these 27 different things, uh, these 27 different tags to your issues and then go through this process. And and what I found over time is that we were assigning way too many tags and I, as the maintainer, was getting lost in it. Ultimately, when when it comes to issues, I want to ensure uh, that it's easy for me as the maintainer to read. And so now we're kind of down to three different tags and uh, we have the the DBA Tools 1.0 release that'll be coming up. And right now, the only thing that's prioritized are bug fixes. So if I have some free time, I'll jump in on there. If you go to dbatools.io slash bugs, um, that is actually a short link to our repo and the bugs listed there. Um, And I was actually on Twitch a couple times showing people how it is that I solve the bugs there. So right now, our priority is with bugs. I watched some of your Twitch streams, but after the fact, I didn't catch them live just from from life issues. But that was kind of cool. It was the first time I've gone to Twitch for a non-gaming type of, you know, lesson, if you will. So that was kind of cool. It totally blew my mind that even people watch other gamers. I thought that was only me. And then I heard that there's a whole platform dedicated to it. And then whenever I found that other people were on there showing how they work with PowerShell, I was on it as soon as possible. (laughs) I've always always thought it was like football that doesn't suck. And for nerds, (laughs) I'm not a sports person outside of hockey, but actually I want to go back to, I think Rob, you're talking about at bear and whatnot, but I really want to put a strong lens on, your continuous integration, continuous delivery, whatever you want to label it, your pipeline. Uh, So you've mentioned a few pieces, but can we coherently just kind of walk step by step as to how you've constructed the pipeline so that 
a lot of the code review and the unit tests and everything are handled automatically and that uh, I would hope there's very little actual human interaction. So anything around the framework, what humans have to do, any tools you're using would be great for the audience. It's funny, this is a presentation that I've delivered at the PowerShell Conference uh, Europe. So you can you can find that on YouTube and I've blogged about it as well. And the way that this happens is let's say that a pull request comes in and the pull request is in regards to a particular issue. And that point at the moment is still um, manual because there's got to be some gated approval because otherwise what could happen is Chrissy could come along and she could go, ha-ha, I'll just sneak something in here that's going to reset everybody's SQL admin account to um, Rob is amazing. <laughs> Beard is amazing. And automation <laughs> would just take it and run run it through. So at some point you've got to say, Let's take a sensible answer. Let's let's say that you want to have a particular feature. You, 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 we we don't want to um, get uh, DBA checks doing automatic fixes of um, failed tests because your SQL Server is very important to you, and I don't know exactly how it should be fixed, so I can't code it. So I don't, I particularly don't want any sort of automation around fixing failed tests to be involved in that. I want it to just say, hey, this is broken. It's your estate. You do what you need. So I will look at the, the PR and I'll say, oh, great. Yeah. You know, just a brief. Here's the changes. This is going to fix that problem or this issue that somebody's got. Yeah, basically it looks okay. I will accept. When I merge that change, it will then go into the development branch because that is our um, default branch. Master branch is protected. And once that happens, there is a webhook in Azure DevOps. It used to be called Visual Studio Online. Um, also, it was called Visual Studio Team Services. Uh, other CI build systems are available, and they normally keep the same name over the last five or six years. But... Azure DevOps, we use the pipelines, and it, there's a build pipeline, and the build pipeline says, grab me all of this stuff, check that it's all as we expect it, and turn it into a thing called an artifact. So what we're going to do is we're going to take all of that PowerShell code, and then we're going to run through some tests. We're not going to touch SQL Server. We're literally going to make sure that does the PowerShell compile? Does it do what I expect it to do? from a unit testing point of view. So without interacting with anything else, does this code do what is expected? And as I said before, we want to make sure that all of our checks are um, formatted in a certain way for our Power BI. So we make sure all of that works. Once that has um, completed, what we then do is we update the module version because you can't publish to the PowerShell gallery unless you increase the the module version, and then we will merge into master. So then the unit test pass, we merge into the master branch. Once we get a merge into a master branch, we set off the master build. And the master build takes our certificate and our key. So very important, DBA tools and DBA checks are both corporate ready. They have certificates, the code is signed. That means that the code you download from the PowerShell gallery is the code that we have in our master branch. So you can validate that that's right. Your security team can see exactly what it is. 
doesn't mean that somebody can't change it afterwards. Once it's on your machine, it's out of our control. So we automate the signing of our code. And then once we've signed our code, we then create our artifact of our PowerShell module. And for a PowerShell module, it's simple. It's just those files. And once that has been successfully created, it fires off a release. And it really says, take this artifact and put it somewhere. So in this case, we want to put it to the PowerShell gallery. So literally all it does is fires over and runs publish module and publishes it out to the gallery. And then I have automated the creation um, of the read docs site for DBHX so that that's run on a successful build as well. And DBA tools uh, follows somewhat of a similar pattern, um, but I don't do that part at the end where it's automatically published to the gallery. The reason is kind of OCD and ridiculous. Um, when you have CI systems, it actually <coughs> requires that you make a commit that's like star star, no underscore CI star star, um, so that it doesn't run the continuous integration for that final commit to master. And it's not pretty, and I like pretty. <laughs> so <laughs> I am I am still manually publishing. Also, it's such an important process to me. And I do want to go back to something that Rob said with the certificates. If you go to dbatools.io slash secure, uh, we list all of the reasons why the process, the current process that we're using is a secure one. We have a lot of eyeballs and that's been the benefit of open source. But a lot of people say, but people are people actually looking? And the answer for DBA tools and DBA checks is, is absolutely. Mm -hmm. And what's really fantastic is that the certificate is extremely expensive. And the community stepped up and purchased that certificate for us. And in addition, DBA Tools has hundreds of checks, I think like nearly 500 tests that run each of them. I don't know, let's say there's like 1500 tests total. It's probably closer to 6000 or something, but we needed a lot of horsepower. Um, so the community uh, actually stepped up and got us a very expensive app there. Like by default, app there will give you our open source projects. They'll give it to you for free, but that's for like one thread and we needed 10. And so a few contributors within DBA tools that work at data masterminds, um, they actually gifted us $2,000 for the annual subscription, which is really amazing. It's neat to hear that DBA Tools uses a branch strategy of development, being more open and kind of the place where the new code's going, and then master being a bit more closed and kind of the final resting place for, you know, code that's been validated and whatnot. But I also thought at the same time when Rob stated, you know, ask 10 developers for a branching strategy and you'll get 15 answers, and then followed it up with, hey, it's open source. It's meant to be fun. We should enjoy it. My mind was shrieking, yes, you know, you're not doing this as a job, you can kind of make it as awesome as you want. So my takeaway was to pick something that works, make sure it's simple, make sure it's documented, and just move on and evolve as needed. What about you, Ethan? Simple. That was the key word to me. You're dealing with a lot of people. They're offering you input. And so you've got to keep the whole process simple here. They're using just a few issues tags. They're using just a few branches. And isn't it interesting that 
being simple uh, is also an IT design principle. Why? Simple is replicable. When simple breaks, you can troubleshoot it. And so I'm really not surprised that they are keeping the DBA tools project management processes as simple as possible. Well, now we know what the project does, and we know a lot of the inner workings of how the project actually goes from idea to commit to pull requests to you know, actual released product. Let's talk about probably the most difficult part of any project that's open source is communication and collaboration. And the first thing that's on my mind is you, you have to have some sort of idea where the project is going, some sort of roadmap or vision or whatnot. You know, I guess, how do you form that? Do you have a steering committee? Do you have a planning group? Are, are your plans visible to everyone? Can they see where you're looking to go? Kind of how, do you, how do you align everyone to your vision for the project? That's actually a great idea. We should, <laughs> we should make one and then make it public so that everybody can see. Chris, I, I think, think you're on the steering the, committee now. The, I don't know what just happened there. Yes, you are. As well as having an amazing steering committee, which uh, which you two are going to be part of. I mean, that's you know that's, that's so kind of you to offer. We do also have the blog post, um, the road to 1.0, and some other pages there showing what it is the DBA tools is moving towards and the progress that's happened um, so far. So with 1.0, I know you know it's actually it's actually been about five years since DBA tools premiered. <laughs> you laugh. No, but it's true. You know, Google took at least four to five years to get, to get out of beta. I guess it's the OCD and perfectionism. I just, I wish I'd have named it 1.0 from the start because now it's this thing that we're doing. But, you know, there's a lot of exciting commands that we've always wanted. Um, there's, and then there's the bug fixes, and then we wanted to have the test coverage. So that's for 1.0, which is the short term. And then after that, um, I mean, for me, I really look to where Microsoft is going and there's a lot of Azure support that we'll need to add and something else that I know Rob loves too, which is core support. Yeah. So core support will, uh, it allows us to run DBA tools, not just on Windows, but also Mac and Linux. And, uh, and so that's something that's ongoing. We currently do support Mac and Linux with DBA tools. Uh, we do rely on Microsoft's libraries to, um, to help us get along there. And I uh, think that they have something in the pipeline that we're super excited about called Central Management Server that's coming up. Uh, but yeah, so after 1.0, we're going to just continue to do more core and, uh, and then also add a whole lot more support for Azure as well. I just imagine that DBA life on Mac, is that a thing? It just feels really <laughs> tough because it's like so, a Windows server but, application but, but, on but Mac. Oh, uh, yeah. So, but that's the bit Ooh, where you're wrong. You I'm, purposely, I'm purposely pulling at that scab. Yeah. You see, <laughs> you see, the thing is that SQL Server doesn't care what operating system it runs on. SQL Server will run on Linux. SQL Server will run on Windows. When it comes to how SQL is processing that data, it's exactly the same. Hey, and uh, PowerShell. PowerShell will run on Windows and PowerShell will run on Linux. It does exactly the same thing. So now, actually, it doesn't matter. If you have uh, an Ubuntu laptop, you can use PowerShell with DBA tools to manage SQL Server running on Linux and running on Windows. 
It's VS amazing, Code. great world. Yes. VS Code is also cross-platform. Azure Data Studio, which is a great way to interact with SQL Server, is also cross-platform. So that's a huge focus for Microsoft. And for me as a DBA, it's, it's a lot of fun um, because I do primarily use Mac at home. Do you know how I remember how to get out of Vi? Open VS Code. <laughs> 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 oh, boy. We were talking about um, communication and the, the, the blog post for the road to 1.0 came up and so on. But is there a more formal way that you stay in communication with stakeholders? And by stakeholders, I don't mean just people that download DBA tools and use it, but the people that have really invested something, project maintainers and owners and core contributors and, and so on. Uh, how do you do you tell these folks in some formalized way what's going on? You got a newsletter, something? Uh, no, no newsletters. Uh, we talk about everything openly on Slack. Uh, so we have our primary channel, which is DBA Tools. And then we also have DBA Tools-Dev. And that's where anyone who is interested in not just development, but if you're interested in the process of how it happens, everyone can join. And we have discussions there. Uh, and that's our primary source of communication. And then we also have a GitHub spam channel. Uh, where we watch everything that's going on in the repos. Uh, so it is primarily GitHub and Slack. In other words, it, it is if you are involved in the DBA Tools project on whatever level, it is up to you to get into that Slack channel and engage. Pay attention to what the conversations are. Start some conversations yourself. Watch the activity flowing by in the GitHub spam channel. And, uh, and then keep yourself uh, apprised of uh, the status of the project and what's happening. Yeah, and you don't even have to keep yourself apprised. You can just jump in and be like, hey, I have this idea. Is it a good idea? Um, and then we can talk about it there. And, you know, a lot of times we'll do uh, command design there and things like that. So it's, you know, I think that 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 requiring that kind of attention may make people feel overwhelmed, um, but there's really no requirements. I hang out there because it's like hanging out with my friends and it's super enjoyable. It's like I used to hang out on IRC, um, but now, you know, it's Discord and Slack and it's talking to people who like PowerShell mm -hmm. and SQL Server too. It feels like the communications are fairly um, decoupled. They, you know, they happen when they happen. There can be a lot of different conversations happening in a lot of contexts. But at the end of the day, there are decisions that need to get made. So how do you how do you make those decisions? Are you making the, are you and Rob making them, or is there a you know a group of people that you engage and try to get their feedback and see what they think before you decide what to do next, etc. Um, so we, uh, as a team, decided uh, quite a bit ago that I am the BDFL, which is the <laughs> benevolent dictator for life. Ah. And, and I will say, I, I'm really proud because a lot of times, you know, people will suggest something that I don't want to do. Let's say I love tabs, right? But then everybody, it's like, Chrissy, you know, spaces are the thing because, you know, they, they are equal whenever they're presented everywhere. And sometimes tabs can be, you know, kind of sloppy. And also Pester is using brackets on the same line. So we should use brackets on the same line. I'm like, oh, that's not what I'm doing. Eventually, and whenever I say eventually, it's like the next day, I'm like, okay then we're going to switch from tabs to spaces. Can somebody create the regex to do that within the repo and then add the VS code settings so that that happens automatically? So we will discuss and, you know, I really make it a point in my entire life uh, to be inclusive, to be welcoming, to be open. 
and so I really take that approach as the BDFL. I, I'm not like, I'm going <laughs> to make all the decisions. I, I want to do what's best for the community. And so we talk a lot about things and I've changed my mind quite a bit too. Mm-hmm. I'd like to just say that just because a lot of people see Chrissy and Rob and DBA Tools. That's just because we're noisy. (laughs) (laughs) We like to talk. You know, you put me in front of a room of 5,000 people, I'll happily talk about stuff. It's not a problem. There are a hundred contributors in there. There are some people who have been there all the way through. There's far too many to name check, but you can find them on the dbatools.io site. And they all bring their own special expertise in their own area of different things and bring it in to enable DBA tools to be what it is now and what it will be in the future. Absolutely. I mean, even one of the things like localization, um, Mm -hmm. you know, Rob and I are both native English speakers, although his English is more hard to understand. (laughs) Uh, But we'll have people saying like, Christy, you're using these colloquialisms, you know, and you need to, and, and this isn't very understandable for someone from, you know, Portugal or whatever, where English isn't the first language. And so that has been incredibly valuable. Um, And in addition, we have people who are great at JavaScript that help with Mm -hmm. the website. We have people who specialize in replication, which is a part of the SQL engine that not a lot of people know about uh, or understand in depth. And so even within SQL Server itself, you have your specialists and those specialists are hanging out in DBA tools and creating those commands around that functionality. Just I'm having a mental picture of the documentation. Like, are you nervous as a long tail cat in a room full of rocket chairs? Come check this out. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> I've, been, I've been in those situations before. And, and it kind of leads me to a, a closing thought question to the two of you. You know, Obviously, you're very passionate about open source, SQL Server, the, really just the whole community around it. I would imagine you get this question, but I'm curious, how do you get the energy to prioritize DBA tools and those open source projects that you deal with in your day-to-day life? My wife says that I'm really lucky because she says your job is your hobby, is your career, is your fun, is your social. And they all blend in together and it's really difficult to see where the difference is. So Christy and I, we live in, we're lucky. Again, we live in two communities, beautiful technical communities, the SQL community and the PowerShell community. And the reason that we spend all of our time doing Doing that and enabling us to do that is, number one, because I got a beautiful, supportive wife who is happy for me to do that. And two, because it's fun. It's my it's my, it's my, my downtime and my social time, and I meet my friends as well. So it's really easy to make the time to do the things that you enjoy doing with your friends. Totally. It's kind of like asking, like, where do you get the energy to play video games? Uh, this is my hobby, and it's, and it's my fun. And, you know, even actually, if, if I'm low energy, I'm depressed or burnout, um, then my wife will jump in and kind of help me there. And, and it's, you know, we communicate a lot with the community. So I'll just let people know, hey, man, I'm burnout right now, I could use some help. Um, but you know, the positive affirmation from the community totally gives us energy. And we're really lucky that, you know, nearly every step that we take is promoted enthusiastically by the community. And so we do get our energy just because it's innately what we love to do and our hobbies. And then also, like Rob had said, we get to hang out with our friends all of the time uh, in the Slack channel. 
And then also whenever we go and present at all these different conferences, we see all of our friends there as well. Awesome. Well, I wanted to thank you both very much for coming and sharing your stories with the group here. And uh, Chrissy, maybe you can go first. If, if people want to interact with you online or read your blog or whatnot, any links you can provide uh, folks to come chase you down on the interwebs? Totally. So I am on Twitter. Uh, I got a super elite Twitter handle. It is just at CL. So at mm. yeah, I know. And CL. Um, we also are on Twitter uh, as PSDBA tools. And, and then on Slack. So if you go to dbatools.io slash Slack, you can join there. Uh, and I participate a lot in the DBA tools and the DBA tools dash dev channels. And Rob, what about you? Where can we hunt you down on the, the World Wide Web? Uh, so the easiest way is to type SQL DBA with a beard. And then you'll find me. Now, now there's a bit of a problem here because on Twitter because of the character limit for usernames. When I changed my handle, I actually became SQL DBA with a bear, which I kept. <laughs> Got it. All right. Be well, because just... it's funny, but I, I am actually SQL DBA with beard. All right. Thank you all again. And that's it for today's edition of the Data Knots podcast. If you're a social creature, you can follow at Chris Wall on Twitter or my blog, wallnetwork.com. And my delightful friend, Ethan, is at EC Banks on Twitter, and he's blogging over at packetpushers.net. For more of our Data Knot shows about infrastructure engineering, do a nosedive down the rabbit hole that is packetpushers.net. You'll find us talking about containers and conferences, certification, code, cloud, full stack engineering. There's a lot there. Come enjoy the smorgasbord. And until then, may your server lights blink, your open source projects remain joyful and fun, and your cables be cleanly managed. All right, so a little unknown fact about me, I also run a very large website called realcajunrecipes.com. We have over 150,000 followers on Facebook, uh, thanks to my mom's awesome social networking skills. Um, and one of my favorite recipes on there is something called Super Yummy Rice Dressing. Um, you guys may know it as dirty rice. That's not what we call it in Louisiana. It's rice dressing. So if you go to realcajunrecipes.com and type in super yummy rice dressing, you'll find some of the best Thanksgiving and Christmas food ever. Mm -hmm.